week three of Gospel 101. We're in the book of Galatians. Um, as we know, as we have heard in these first two weeks, and by the way, if you missed uh, the first two weeks of the series, I would encourage you to go back and listen or watch. Uh, everything's on YouTube. Everything's on whatever podcast app that you look at. But I would encourage you to go back because there's some introductory things that we really need to make sure we understand as we, uh, as we tackle this book. And so, um, but this letter was written to multiple churches in the region of Galatia. And it was written, as we, as we learned, to affirm Paul as an apostle, his apostleship, as well as to affirm the purity of the true gospel. Okay, so we're here to affirm Paul's apostleship and to affirm the purity of the true gospel. And so Paul takes this text that we're going to be in today in Galatians in chapter 1. He takes this text to share his testimony. You will find that as a part of his testimony, uh, that he is further stating his case as an authentic apostle of Jesus Christ. This was important for Paul because he was unique. He was not one of the main people. He was not there when Jesus officially sent out his disciples and who they called them the apostles, those who were sent. He was not physically present um, at that time. But he was legitimate in his calling as an apostle. Uh, just to highlight, especially back in that time, the word apostle was reserved for those who were physically sent by Jesus. And so that was a big deal. And if someone claimed to be an apostle, to be physically sent by Jesus, um, and then was not, there's problems there. Like, we can't trust then what this person is saying. This person's not trustworthy. And then to pile on that, not only was Paul saying that I am truly an apostle, but then he was like messing with the theology of the Jews and saying not only can Jews come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, but Gentiles can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus too. And they don't have to follow all your rules. And so you see where Paul is getting hit with a double whammy here. They're questioning who he is, and they're questioning what he says. And I don't know about you, that's uncomfortable for me sometimes. As if for you, like, like, I guess I can handle question what I say, but I don't question who I am. Or, you know, question who I am, but don't question the things that I say. Paul was getting that on both sides. Remember that we learned in the first couple of weeks that Paul was stoned and left for dead by those who did not believe his message, those who rejected that gospel that was free to both Jew and to both Gentile, they rejected him, and not just verbally, but physically, leaving him for dead. And so Paul gives his testimony. He gives his testimony today in a sermon that I've entitled Gospel Transformation. Gospel Transformation. We're in the first chapter of the book of Galatians, and we're going to begin in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Um, if you don't, open up your phone to an app, or you can follow along on the screen. Verse 11, Galatians chapter 1. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure 
and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, sorry, for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three, by the way, a little side note there, he ended up going to the city that he was heading to to kill Christians. That's where he wound up. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So they didn't know me by my face, so they would not have recognized me. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. I'm going to read that again. This is what they said about him. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And look what happened in verse 24. And they glorified God in me. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. May the testimony of Paul resonate. God, and if we um, this morning do not have a true biblical gospel testimony, may, may the Holy Spirit this morning illuminate that in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is difficult as someone who has grown up in church, may I ask this if that's okay? And this doesn't matter, per se, but just for the sake of the conversation. How many of you would say, I grew up, quote, quote, unquote, I grew up in church? Raise your hand if you would say that. Okay, that's the vast majority of those of us here today. One of the challenges to someone who grew up in church, I was a son of a pastor, um, is that we, we often, and I, I group us together here in this sense, is that we often understand the truths of the gospel on a cognitive, academic, mental level. If you asked me as a young person, were you born a sinner? I would say, oh yeah, I was born a sinner, yeah. I mean, and I could probably point out the Bible verses that tell me that, and I could academically walk you through the gospel. But a problem, and I, and I see it as a parent as well, is that oftentimes when you're raised in the church, you, you don't see as much radical gospel transformation. You say, Josh, I'll put him on the spot here because he's here today with a guest. Why, do you, why for the last year and a half have you highlighted Randall Reagan some in your preaching? You know why? And I haven't had Randall share his testimony yet. That's going to come sometime. He can share all the nitty gritty. You know Why? Because God radically transformed him. It wasn't like, oh, cool, man, I'm going to pray this and get this done. And no, it was like I was a mess. God had been pulling on me and pulling on me and pulling on me, and he saved me, and he transformed me. Why do I do that? Because I'm afraid if we're not careful 
that the gospel becomes an intellectual decision and the gospel does not transform us. Is that fair? Does everybody understand that a little bit as we as we're raised in church, and, and, and sometimes maybe we'll hear, and, and this is another level of that, maybe, maybe one day when I do have uh, Randall share his testimony or Randall shares his testimony, and, and maybe there's some folks, younger folks, that are like, well, I never did that, and I got saved a few years ago, and like, I just don't have that story of transformation. And may I say this morning, I really want us as a church, I want us as parents within this, the, the, our congregation here as a local church, I want us to really make sure we are highlighting the power of the gospel for our children. The power of the gospel keeps us from sin. The power of the gospel pulls us out of sin. The power of the gospel is the answer to the churchgoer. It's the answer to the God denier. And so this morning, my heart in bringing this message is that I can arrest our attention on the beauty of the gospel and that we can highlight through the story of the Apostle Paul how much it changes lives. I want us to see, number one this morning, the desperate need of the gospel. The desperate need of the gospel. We're going to be uh, back in our text throughout the morning this morning. Look back in Galatians chapter 1 and look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So he was involved in Judaism, and in that day, they were the ones who rejected Jesus. And as we highlighted last week, unfortunately, that has continued to be the case in the, Jew, the Jewish religion. So he was not only a part of it, but look at verse 14. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Paul says, look, I'm not trying to be arrogant here. I'm just telling you that I was not just claiming Judaism as my religion. No, I was like all in. I mean, I was the one that was advancing in this religion. I was studying this. I was like 100% all in. And may I pause this morning and may I say this? Sometimes God takes those that are 110% all in against him and when he radically transforms their life what do we see they are 110 percent all in for him may i say this parents man this is this is extra today this is this is this is dessert this morning the character traits in your kids that frustrate you because right now they're using them in a maybe a state of rebellion or they're using them to fight against you you know that stubbornness you're like my kid is so stubborn and I can't get through to my kid because my kid is so stubborn. Any parents feel me? Guess what? You know what I believe? I believe when God gets a hold of the heart. You know what I want as an adult, as my kids as an adult? I want them to know what they believe and know who they love and know who they serve and be stubborn about it. Right? Man, my kid is so strong-willed and nothing stops my kid from doing what... What, if my kid makes up his mind they're going to do something, I can try my best to talk him out of it, and they're going to do it anyway. Okay. I, man, I got some. They, I, mean, y'all wanna, I mean, I see y'all back there testifying. No. Okay, guess what? When God gets a hold of the heart, man, nothing's going to stop that kid from doing what that kid wants to do. 
and that kid wants to follow Jesus. And may I say this, man, if I, if I can this morning, I got a little too close to that. If I can this morning, some of us that have these easily moldable and easily pliable kids and everything looks really good right now, we better, we better watch out. Easily moldable and easy, easy pliable becomes 23 years old. They go to college. They have influences of this world. So if you've got a difficult kid this morning, in a way, praise the Lord. Pray that God gets a hold of their heart and that the gospel transforms them and they become just as difficult for Jesus. That was not in the sermon this morning. I swear, Justin, Evan's got my notes back there. It wasn't in there. But I felt like I felt like it needed interjection because Paul was not just in Judaism. He was all in. And we, we obviously know Paul's life played itself out. He was all in for Jesus. But Paul was transparent about his past here. He owned who he was. He shared who he was. I will say this. I don't get the sense that Paul was proud of his past. I don't get the sense that Paul glorified his past. I do believe that he was honest about his past. He didn't try to glamorize it in any way. But he was honest about it. I mean, what was that past? In Acts chapter 9, we see a little bit of this. Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, of the way. Oh man, my notes just went to put on me. I'm coming back, I promise you. That has never happened in five and a half years. It's up there, isn't it? Yeah. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This was Paul's request. I want to go. I want to do this. He was honest about his past. His past was nothing to be proud of. But this is who he was. He was one who would seek out the disciples of Jesus and kill them. He believed that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. And it was obvious that he was fighting against Jesus and his disciples. And may I just remind you this morning that some of the most difficult people become prized trophies of Jesus and the grace of God through the gospel. You see, there was a desperate need of the gospel. May I say this this morning? Don't let people's comfortability in our Western American church culture, do not let our seemingly uh, uh, well-adjusted to church life fool you. There are people that I believe sit in churches like this one every single Sunday, all around this community, all around this city, all around this state, who sit in church, nod their head, fist bump the pastor, and are lost. They're lost. 
And there's many reasons for that that I'm not going to go down this morning. But may I say, while God can take the most obvious, vile sinner like Paul, who we find in the book of Acts was at the feet of Stephen when they stoned Stephen, he was there, he was a part of that. And while we know the wickedness and the, and the sinfulness of there, we know that Saul, Paul, desperately needed the gospel. May I say this? That the church-going Pharisee desperately needs the gospel. May I say that the teenager who is yet to give his or her heart to Jesus desperately needs the gospel, just like Saul, the murderer of Christians, desperately needed the gospel. May I say, if you are here under the sound of my voice this morning, and you have never believed on Jesus with your heart and have an authentic relationship with him, you are in desperate need of the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul, just like Saul. The desperate need of the gospel this morning. And sometimes I think we downplay our lostness or the lostness of others. But we full well believe this. I want you to hear me this morning. Make no bones about this. We believe the Bible teaches that those who die without Christ spend an eternity apart from him. There is a desperate need for the gospel. Look at our second point today. It's going to be in verse 15 if you want to get there in your text. The transformative power of the gospel. So there's a need and that need is supplied. And how is that need supplied? Look at verse 15 and verse 16 back in our text this morning. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The power of the gospel. Let's read about it in Paul's life. It's in the book of Acts, in chapter 9. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He knew. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're working against it. You're pushing against me. Paul, the worst of the worst, the most desperate of sinners, the one in most desperate need, tangibly speaking of the gospel but God had a plan but God had a plan and what I love about what Paul says in verses 15 and 16 God didn't just come up with a plan like God had always had a plan and this morning I'm not a determinist I don't believe that we just sit here and do nothing and God's got it all we're just a bunch of puppets yet not I but it's Christ and like I believe there's a tension there between the free will of man, man and the sovereignty of God that we need to manage and we need to, we need to always live in, and I think that's very healthy. But I will say this, God had a plan, 
for Saul, Paul, and it dated back before he was ever born. Just like in the book of Jeremiah, right? Highlights that same fact. David speaks of that as well. May we not this morning, may we not think that there's not a plan. May we not think that God is not in control of his plan. We've seen God's plan over and over again in scripture. We've seen it play out in our lifetime as well. The people that we think can never change, God can change those people. Those that are just too far gone or too lost or, or, or too bad and there's no way God seems to make a way. The gospel takes you right where you are and you don't have to improve or change yourself. The gospel takes you right where you are and it takes you to the righteousness of God. Through the, grace, through the grace of Jesus. That's what the gospel does. The gospel takes you right where you are, Saul, on the road to kill Christians. And the gospel stops you in your tracks. And the gospel says, I've got something better. I've got a new life. I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to want to give you the righteousness of Jesus. It's the transformative power of the gospel. I have a friend of mine who one day will get to visit our church. He travels some and hopefully his travels will bring us here. And uh, for the four years I was in Baltimore um, at Rosedale Baptist Church there, I got to see several um, legitimate like transformations, which was really, really incredible. But one of them you know how we're doing March Madness Sunday where we're like, hey, we're going to do a couple giveaways. We did something like that, not March Madness, but we were doing something where we were having lunch after the service and just providing an easy way for people to invite their friends to church. And so Erica Betleon, she probably will not watch this, but Erica um, invited a friend of her and her husband's, Dave, invited a friend to church that day. I was in charge at Rosedale of our greeting and our first impressions. And so uh, with that being a, a big Sunday, I was at the main entrance that day just helping with anything that I could. And I remember the day that a guy named Rob Miller walked in with Erica and Dave. And I'm like, hey, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, hey, I want you to meet Rob. And I met Rob and I gave him a handshake. And he stayed around afterwards uh, and had lunch. And I remember uh, my friend Jake Potter and me. Um, talking to Rob, sitting down at their table, having a conversation with him. And on similar, Randall, on a Tuesday after that, similar to, Jake got a text on Monday. He's like, hey, man, this is Rob. I got your number from Erica. Can I stop by your office tomorrow? I need to talk to you. And uh, so he didn't ask to talk to me. He asked to talk to Jake. So I, I obviously respected that. And Jake tells a story of just a big, Burly college football referee um, who was absolutely broken, done. The gospel, the truth of the gospel that was preached that day had completely broken him. They came out of that meeting, Jake brings it to my office, and he's hugging me and crying, and 
we began a friendship that day that has lasted uh, about six months ago. He was through the Raleigh area during the week, and we met up for, uh, for dinner. In fact, he stayed at our house that night. Um, he's one of my best friends. Let me tell you about Rob Miller. The Saturday night before, the night before that Sunday, he sat in a car contemplating his life. He had multiple times infidelity in his marriage on his part. He was an out-of-control alcoholic, out-of-control. That is what was spurring those other things. And he was done, like with everything. And he told God, I'll go tomorrow, but this is like, this is, my, this is the last time I'm doing anything. I'm done. And he showed up at church. And here's what I can tell you. I've now been here, what, coming up on six years in June for the last, man, that's going to be nine, nine and a half years now. For the last nine, nine and a half years, you know what? His life has been completely transformed. They ended up moving to Colorado. You know what happened about six weeks ago? His wife, who had wanted nothing to do, she didn't believe any of it. That's bull. Rob, you can say you found Jesus, whatever. You know what happened about six weeks ago? His wife got baptized. Took nine years. You know what it is? It's the fact that there was a desperate need for the gospel and the transformative power of the gospel collided in that moment. And he's never been the same. He's never been the same. If I can ever get him here on a Sunday, I promise you that I will make him tell a story. Now, he may cuss while he's telling a story. That's okay. He is loud and proud about what Jesus has done in his life. Amen. It's a beautiful exchange. It's the suicidal, alcoholic, losing his marriage, done. And it's a great exchange. The righteousness of God through Jesus. It's the great exchange. It is the transforming power of the gospel. Romans 8, 16 says it this way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Folks, I don't know if we understand. Man, Rob Miller went from an alien resisting his creator God to a child of God. And then if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. What does that mean? What does that second verse mean? That second verse means that everything that Jesus has or that Jesus is owed is mine. The richness of his grace belongs to me. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We have been called out of bondage to sin by the power of the gospel into a bond with God in Christ Jesus from bondage in sin to a bond with our creator. Where you were once named by your sin, you are now named by the son of God. 
Where you were once held captive by your sin, you are now captivated by the grace of Jesus. That's the transformative power of the gospel this morning. And so my question before we get to our final point in our text this morning, my question is not, are you the person who is suicidal, alcoholic, and lost your marriage? That's not my question today. My question today is not, are you a front runner in the religion of Judaism, and are you actively killing Christians? That's not my question today. My question today is this. Have you experienced the transformative power of the gospel? You say, well, Josh, I think so. But I still struggle. And listen, that's, not, that's, for, that's a sermon for a different day. We're going to all struggle. We're going to struggle all our way to heaven. But have you experienced... Here's, what, here's all I'm going to tell you. I'm going to sound like an old country preacher right now. If my wife wasn't here, she's in the kids today. If something as major as your old nature being done away with and the Spirit of God coming to reside in your heart, if something that miraculous takes place, there's going to be some difference. There's going to be some change. There's going to be some clicks. There's going to be some, oh, I used to, now I don't. Or I, I never would have done that, and now I will. There will be some change. And you know what? I may not notice it, and the people that sit around you may not notice it, but you will. You will. You don't be perfect, but you're going to notice. So my question is, have you ever been transformed by the gospel? But I've been to church for 37. Awesome. I'm so happy that you are. But people that go to church for 37 years... That isn't the gospel. That isn't the gospel this morning. So my question before we, fin before we finalize today's text, have you been transformed by the power of the gospel? And my follow-up question is, if you haven't been, why are you letting your pride stop you from it? Why are you letting your pride stop you? Because that's all it is. 19-year-old pastor's kid from the ages of like 12 to 19 for seven, eight years, pride stopped me. Pride stopped me. Thirdly, we're done, I promise. We've seen now the, the, the need that Paul had for the gospel, Saul to Paul, the transformative power of the gospel, Saul to Paul, on the road to Damascus, light comes down, he's different. I'm not going to reread this, even though it is in my notes to reread, but we see thirdly the early years of gospel training, the early years of gospel training, and this is from verses 16 down to the end of the text, I do would like to say that as Paul outlines kind of what happened from that point, uh, verse 24 concludes that segment of the text with, they glorified God in me. So let's, let's just bookend it with the gospel changed his life and then other people noticed and they glorified God, okay? So I'm not going to read through all of this, but I will say this in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do. Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. Paul's posture from the time that his life was changed by Christ was, Lord, 
what do you want me to do? That was his posture. He did not immediately go to Jerusalem where many of the apostles that were physically there with Jesus would have been. He wound up in Arabia. The timeline of some of this, we don't know. But we do know, he says, three years later, he went to Jerusalem, and it was three years from that time before he interacted with Peter, before he interacted with James. So for at least three years, he spent time, I believe, and most theologians believe, he spent time alone with God in, like, seminary, but his professor was God, like, figuring this out and like what did this mean and I just radically had this experience and now what what we do know is this that Paul's standing in Christ was changed in an instant his name was changed his eternal destination was changed the old man was pushed away the new man was there in an instant he even cried out Lord so his standing in Christ was Changed in an instant. But the, but the ensuing years after that change were spent in preparation for the gospel work that God had called Paul to. The word we call it in Christianese is sanctification. It is the process by which we become more like Christ while we're here on this earth. Arabia, three years Jerusalem, a couple of weeks. And then it wasn't until a total of about 14 years from the time of his conversion before Paul embarked on his first missionary journey, which, let's connect the dots of scripture real quick, was into Galatia. Here's where we are. So connecting the dots of scripture, Paul is crucifying, killing Christians. He has his life changed. He spends 14 years preparing he goes on his missionary journey, and the first missionary journey takes him to Galatia. We heard about it in the first sermon. He goes around in Galatia, stoned, left for dead, preaches the gospel, comes back, and now he gets back from his journey, and he writes the letter we're preaching about right now. That's connecting the dots of this. But the truth is this morning, what we learn is that the gospel changes you in an instant. But spiritual maturity, sanctification is an ongoing journey that takes time. And may I say this? It's okay. If your spiritual maturity takes time, 14 years. 14 years before he went on a missionary journey. What if, what if we, we put that in perspective? Someone gets saved here at our church and their life is changed by the gospel and we say, all right, we're going to see if it's real. And so in 14 years, we're going to schedule a missions trip. And if that person is faithful through these 14 years, then they'll be qualified to go on that missions trip. I mean, that's the perspective, right? And we know that's not the philosophy that we would have here. But that's what happened. 
And so may I say this this morning, that the work of grace and sanctification can take time, but it's, it is necessary work in the life of a believer. The process of us coming to faith in Christ, but then learning Christ and having the mind of Christ and having the disposition of Christ and understanding the implications of all Christ was and what he said I don't know if you agree with this, but I think I'm going to be doing that from now until I leave this earth. I'm going to be learning it, and I'm going to be learning it, and I'm going to be learning it, and I'm going to be learning it. If I may encourage you this morning that you may have spiritual dreams, spiritual goals, and spiritual aspirations this morning, and God wants me to do this, and I know he does, and I'm ready to do it, and I'm ready to do it right now. God went, did you know it's okay? A year in the grand scheme of things isn't that long. A couple years, making sure your footing's right, it's, it's okay. In the grand scheme of things, it's okay. I will share, I don't know that I've ever shared this. Most of you know this, but that's okay. Um, when I was 30 years old, through a system of events, when I was 30 years old, a church that ran roughly 800 people voted on whether or not to make me their senior pastor. This is my story. I was 30. Um, large Christian school, not large, but a Christian school. Multifaceted ministries. 30 acres of property, budgets of, I don't even know, a whole lot more than what we got to mess with. I can tell you that. Praise the Lord. More money, more problems. That's in the Bible somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I think it is. You know what? My ego and my pride Whenever someone's saying yes or no to you as a person, what does your ego and pride say? Yes, 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 yes. Let's have a yes party. You know what the honest to God truth is? And some of you in here were a part of that conversation. No way in the world at 30 was I ready to do that. No way in the world. You know what it was? Hey, man, take some time. Move out of state. You know what happened when I moved out of state? I met guys like Rob Miller that I told you about earlier in the sermon. You know what happened when I was out of state? I went to a place, and I had a little way that I did things, and I, I served and ministered in a certain way, and I had a lead pastor who looked at me and goes, that's not the way we do it here, man. We don't pick and choose like that. I don't care who it is walks through that door. They're yours. You go after them. Four years, I, I said, Pastor, I got, some, I got some questions theologically, man. I got to be honest with you. I've been taught the same thing my whole life. But, man, I, mm, I'm having a hard time putting that together with Scripture. For four years, you know how to pastor. Hey, you know what? Here's what you need to do. This guy over here believes this, and that guy over there believes the opposite. You should go have lunch with those guys. All right. Let's do it. 
And now you're never ready. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to have kids. You're never ready. I don't know if I'm ready to get married. You're never ready. But five years later, I feel like that five years was like Paul's 14. And that's my personal testimony. 30? Nah, bro. Nope. My wife and I, we don't joke about this, but my wife and I speak about it all the time. We don't think we'd be together. I definitely wouldn't still be in ministry right now. Five years later, God made a lot of mistakes as your pastor. I'm not perfect. Believe me, people that don't come to, here, to church here often will tell you how imperfect that I am. They don't come here, but it's all good. I'm imperfect. But I promise you this, God has prepared me much more than how I jumped the gun. May I say this for you? I don't know what God has for your future. Listen, God could have you in leadership at this church. God could have you serving and leading Bible studies. And God could have you, God could raise up some family in our church to go plant a church somewhere. God can do all those things. But may I say this? If it takes some time, don't get impatient. Appreciate the journey. Learn on the journey. Because the gospel changes your standing in an instant. But the gospel begins your sanctification. And that takes time. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.